the challenge, the opportunity to connect. The 1960s, a time of imagination and change, a time of anger and fear. The 1960s, a program called Challenge. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Looked at our connections, our divisions, through the lens of faith. Nearly 60 years later, during these challenging times, we'll take a new look at our divisions, our connections, in a new program called Challenge 2.0. The environmental crisis has been called at its core a crisis of values and a crisis of faith. Organized religion has been criticized for contributing to, if not actually creating, the sense of disconnect between people, our planet, and the creatures we share it with. But could organized religion also be a solution? That's what we'll examine in this edition of Challenge 2.0. I would like to welcome two very special guests this morning to help lead us through this conversation and through this fascinating topic. Uh, Pastor Dave Brown is not a stranger on this program. He's participated many times as a member of Pacific Northwest Interfaith Amigos and describes himself also as the creator and host of Blues Vespers. If you've not caught that, Dave, maybe you'll tell us about that a little bit later on. It's something that you definitely want to do at some point. And we're very privileged to have with us J.P. Newell, uh, who is describing himself as a wandering Celtic teacher based in Edinburgh, Scotland. It looks like he is practically in our backyard, but he is across the Atlantic Ocean from us, and also the founder of Earth and Soul. And one of the latest efforts that J.P. has been involved in is this new book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. And we're going to be talking about that in greater detail shortly. Uh, thank you both very much for uh, sharing, I can't say morning, but sharing this part of your day with us. Thank you, Jeff. It's so good to be with you and to be involved in, in conversation. Great to see you, Dave. Good to see you, my friend. And Jeff, thank you again for this ongoing ministry that you're doing through this uh, television show. Um, it's a powerful and a good thing, a blessing to the larger community. Thank you, Jeff. Let's begin with the ecological crisis. Uh, and it's interesting that not far from JP, where you are in Glasgow, uh, you in Edinburgh, of course, but down in Glasgow, they're going to be addressing this issue of climate change. The ecological crisis that we see playing out virtually every day, uh, our dysfunctional relationship with the planet has in many cases been attributed to religion. Is that a fair assessment? And if not, why not? Or if so, why? Yes, I, I think that uh, aspects of our Western Christian tradition, uh, especially from the fourth century onwards when uh, Christianity got into bed with, with empire, uh, I think uh, re religion has very much played its part in uh, paving the way for, for um, a lack of reverence uh, of the earth. Um, so what, what we begin to see happening, especially in the fourth century and following in, in the imperial stream of Christianity, is um, a focus on the transcendence of sacredness, that is a sense of the God who is above and beyond us, and, um, and a lack of attention to the imminence and the withinness of the sacred, uh, deep within each one of us and, and deep within the body of the earth and every life form. Uh, that, that is a, a broad statement. I think that there have been uh, streams of spirituality and wisdom within Christianity as within uh, other great spiritual traditions. 
that, that have um, been faithful to maintaining a sense of the, what the Celts uh, refer to as the life within all life, or the light within all light, the, light, the soul within all souls. And that, that is the tradition from which I draw very heavily in my work. Uh, and part of that is, is to undergird uh, uh, the movement at this moment in time to come back into a true relationship with the earth. Dave, what is your sense of that? I think that through my own Christian journey, the movement from God as other to God as being present, as uh, JP said, was a significant movement. And yet I feel much of the church still wants to see a God that is out there and see the creation as a resource for humanity, something that we use rather than something that has its own sacredness, um, its own presence, its own way of bearing witness to the holy. Uh, when we have a very human-centered view of, of the creation, a very human-centered human view of, of what God is, we then use creation rather than revere it. And I think mm -hmm. the movement has to be moving from, we need to save the earth because it's a resource for humanity to we need to save the earth because it is sacred and it is precious and it is an expression of all that is holy. Mm -hmm. JP and your writings uh, that I've enjoyed reading very much, you raise the example of St. John the Evangelist saying that he is underappreciated and there is not enough concentration put on him, that he's needed as a complementary focus uh, in Christianity. What is it about John that illustrates that needed focus, that needed change? One of the most cherished memories in the uh, Celtic stream of wisdom from which I draw heavily is the, the memory or the image of John the Beloved leaning against Jesus at the Last Supper. And in the Celtic world, it was said of John that he therefore heard the heartbeat of God. And he became an image of the practice of listening, uh, listening deep within ourselves, listening deep within one another, listening within the body of the earth for the beat of the sacred. Uh, so picking up the, the, um, some of the themes that Dave and I have already been pointing to, John becomes this this image of attentiveness to the withinness of the, the sacred within all life. Uh, I think one of, one of the, 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 the features of so much Western religion, um, a, a lot of which was influenced by that imperial stream of Christianity uh, that had become religion of empire, is, is that empire ha has uh, all, nearly always wanted to exploit the natural world. Um, I'm not just speaking about the Roman Empire, I'm speaking about the British Empire, I'm speaking about the American Empire. And I think what we uh, have seen happening is a sort of co-opting of, of religion to, um, uh, to conveniently uh, support empire's exploitation uh, mm -hmm. of the earth. And one of the ways that happened very early on uh, was through a doctrine that was put forward in the fourth century when Christianity became religion of empire called creation ex nihilo or creation out of nothing, in which it was taught that a distant creator fashioned the universe and fashioned the earth out of nothing. 
And uh, one of the implications of that uh, was, was to say that, that matter was created out of nothing. And uh, the Celtic stream, which so celebrated John as a figure of attentiveness to the sacred within all things, said uh, matter, the earth doesn't come out of nothing. It comes out of the very essence, uh, out of the very substance uh, of the divine. So uh, that is to say that this stuff, the stuff of the human body is sacred. Uh, how we handle one another in relationship, how we care physically uh, for those who are struggling with poverty and disease, how we handle the matter of the earth, how we justly share the earth's resources. These are sacred matters. Mm -hmm. I might ask both of you at this point, that brings up what you've just been discussing, uh, bring up a number of different directions I'd like to go, but why don't we just step back a minute and explain for people that might not be terribly familiar with who the Celts were, uh, where did they come from? Who are we talking about? Yes, um, in the fifth century BCE, um, there was already um, a, a, a great sort of spectrum of Celts across the whole of Middle Europe, ranging from uh, Turkey at the eastern side of Europe right through to the Atlantic coastline of Spain, taking in places like Galatia, which just means the land of the Gales or the land of the Celts, Galicia, land of the Gales, Gaul, land of the Gales, and, and of course, um, Gallic or um, Celtic Britain and Ireland. And uh, it seems to have been um, a sort of Indo-European movement of peoples uh, the, this was emphatically not a, an empire, but rather um, an interconnected uh, culture of peoples. Mm -hmm. And uh, their art form, even in the fifth century, speaks of a culture that, um, that was very aware of and celebrated uh, the creatures and the sacredness of the earth. I think really it's become the ground of of my my ministry and my my writing and my work is seeing the sacred as part of creation and not as apart from creation. Um, Celtic spirituality challenges the idea of original sin. Challenges the idea that we're broken uh, at birth. Challenges the idea that the earth is fallen. Um, and with that, it um, it challenges uh, some folks' understanding of what the community called church is. The church has righteousness that it is bringing to broken people and a fallen world. The church is a container with that, and therefore the church gains power <laughs> and authority. The shift that has been part of my journey is the church is no longer giving something to broken humanity that they don't have. Rather, the church's role is to help us to remember what we do have, to help us to remember the sacredness, to deal with soul forgetfulness, as J.P. talks about very well in the beginning of his new book. So for me, it's been a whole, you know, the young man that came out of Princeton with a Calvin, a Calvinistic reformed understanding of Christianity has really journeyed completely 
uh, in another direction. Rather than total depravity, I see um, unlimited possibility, and our job is to remind people of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could spend the whole program on that one. <laughs> I, I think that, um, you know, Dave has um, named something very significant, and, and that is the, uh, the way in which the, the Celtic stream uh, of, of Christian spirituality saw its role as liberating uh, what is deepest in every human being, uh, setting free uh, the of godness that is already there, rather than invoking a, uh, a sacredness that was seen as separate from or um, foreign to what is deepest. And uh, one of the things that I emphasize in the new book is um, to pick up on, on Dave's reference to soul, soul forgetfulness. We've forgotten who we are. So our my role um, in relationship with you, Jeff, or any other human being, is not to um, uh, pretend that I have wisdom uh, about a sacredness that is foreign to you. My role is to be alert to the ways in which I can set free the beauty and the wisdom of that sacredness that is within you. It's, um, it's sheer gift of God. It was in you, uh, in your mother's womb. Teaching that has been expressed and that you alluded to in terms of this relationship is that there were certainly two different forms of divine expression, the book of scripture and the book of nature. Doesn't that lead to a very different relationship with creation, what we often call nature? Yes. Uh, there's this uh, teaching that someone like uh, John Scott or Sarah Eugene in the ninth century uh, articulates so beautifully and that is, you know, he says, God is forever speaking um, through two, two books. Uh, the one book, he says, is the little book, physically little, the book of scripture. The other book, he says, is the vast book, the, the book of the universe. And uh, he sees everything that has being as essentially an expression of, of God. Um, John's gospel begins with the words, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God and everything has come into being through the word, uh, which is to say that uh, you are essentially a unique and unrepeatable expression uh, of the one and everything that has being uh, should be seen as an utterance of, of God. Eryugina says, if we listen only to, to the little book, uh, we are in danger of missing the vastness of the utterance. And he says, if we miss, if we listen only to the big book and we neglect the little book, which is very much a book about um, uh, the imperative of justice and uh, the prophetic tradition of calling uh, for protection of, of the poor and, and the homeless, uh, we are in danger of missing the intimacy of the voice. Um, so it, it's very much about listening in stereo. And I think that radically changes our, our approach to the natural world. And it radically enriches how, how we, we approach scripture. Um, I think these two in, inform one another. And many of us have grown up in Christian traditions 
and um, other, other traditions that have really in, encouraged us to, to read scripture with, with sacred attention, um, expecting ourselves to be addressed. And that's a rich part of our inheritance. But I think we have failed abysmally um, uh, within our traditions in teaching an equal reverence and attentiveness and expectation that we're going to be addressed through the natural world. And I would, to build on what uh, my friend just said, I would also say to those two books, the book of nature, the book of scripture, that also each one of us has within us a sense of wisdom and an awareness of the sacred. When I preach um, these days, after I read the scripture lesson, which is part of my tradition, I uh, use um, a blessing that uh, comes from the Iona community, which speaks a lot about where wisdom is. I will read scripture and then I'll say, for the word of God in scripture, for the word of God around us, for the word of God within us. Mm-hmm. Meaning that the scripture is not on the top of a pinnacle, but is in conversation with the wisdom we already know. Mm-hmm. So my understanding is much more three-way conversation between our experience, creation, and the scripture. I might ask you both, because an inherent part of what you're bringing up is the that experience, uh, the encounter uh, with the divine, whatever you might want to call it, in nature, and the power and the importance of that encounter. I might just ask each of you, obviously, both of you have moved and expanded in your understanding and interpretation. Uh, What encounter was most powerful for you uh, individually uh, in moving you along this road? And whoever wants to tackle that first. Yeah, thank thank you. Um, I I grew up in a very uh, conservative uh, evangelical family, and um, I'm I'm grateful f- for for that upbringing. It's it's not uh, how I uh, describe myself now, um, but I'm I'm grateful uh, to it for the way in which my parents and grandparents and and the people within that uh, larger evangelical community, uh, trained me to be attentive to my heart. Um, at its best, I, I think that is a, it's a very heart-focused uh, uh, religious expression. And I realize uh, now, you know, when I'm in inter-spiritual or interfaith contexts, when I'm meeting a rabbi or when I'm meeting an imam, I find that um, I'm paying attention to his heart. Um, yes, I'm interested in the world of ideas mm-hmm. and, and perspective, but uh, a significant part of me is always paying attention to the heart of the other. And, and I see that as, as being root, rooted in the best side of my evangelical upbringing. So I, th- I think that, that, that those formative years um, as a boy growing up in that tradition I think are still with me. I think the other the other uh, thing that I, I know uh, made an enormous impact on my soul was my experience of the natural world. Um, I'm in Scotland now, but in fact, I, I grew up in, in Canada and uh, spent a lot of time up in the Muskoka Lakes, uh, uh, north of 
uh, big cities like Toronto. And uh, I um, was profoundly affected by my times in the natural, uh, in, in, in open wildness. But I didn't yet have any language to connect that with, with my religious tra uh, tradition. And it wasn't until I came to Scotland to study theology um, back in the 1970s that I came across the Iona community and particularly George McLeod, the founder of the modern day Iona community. I heard him speaking. He was in his 80s at that stage. I was a young man in my early 20s. And I heard, I heard him uh, speaking about the sacredness of the earth and the sacredness of nonviolence uh, between us as individuals, but also between us as nations. And um, I, it was like a coming home experience for me. I, I realized you, you are giving expression to some of my deepest longings. And I had never heard a Christian teacher uh, speak in those terms, either about the sacredness of the earth or the sacredness of nonviolence. One of the other things I'd like to say to sort of build on your point, Dave, about uh, the uh, listening to God in the scriptures, listening to God in the earth, and listening deep within ourselves, knowing that as a, a place in which the ongoing utterance of God can be heard. Um, it was my experience as, as a, a young man in my 30s to experience India and, and some of the meditative practices and wisdom of India. And having been shaped theologically in a place like Edinburgh, uh, which had a, a very inflated sense of its own significance philosophically and intellectually. Uh, I wasn't, I hadn't been trained to do an inner listening. Um, I had been trained, it was all up here. Um, and uh, I hadn't been trained to do some simple meditative uh, attentiveness and, and accessing of silence as a, as a place of knowing. Um, so that also I, I consider an enormous um, a point of influence in my journey and my life. I grew up in the suburbs. Um, I was not exposed to um, to much nature except for going to lakes with you know with crowded beaches. It actually took me moving into Manhattan to get me out hiking on nature trails, um, and so I sort of had to skip the suburbs and go from the big city to creation and. I heard all about the fall. I heard about damnation. I needed to believe certain things about Jesus to be saved from punishment. It was very dark. And I walked from the parking lot to Sunfish Pond in North Jersey and the creation blew my mind. Um, obviously, you know, I was a deeply Christian person, but walking and seeing a waterfall and realize that waterfall goes all the time. That beautiful sparkling water, day after day, hour after hour. Then I walked a little further and I looked at the ground and I saw an Eastern box turtle with these delicate orange patterns and black lines, so amazingly beautiful. I saw the white on a sparrow. I saw a red F with little dots on it. And somehow that exposure to creation in North Jersey um, made me realize there was something more than the dogma I was taught in the dark room of my Sunday school. Mm -hmm. 
And that experience was really the beginning when I was around 20 of putting me on the road I'm on now at 70. A second experience briefly, and I think I might have shared this with your contemplative group last year. I was in the edge of personal change, leaving a parish, a marriage was ending, and I hiked to the Fremont Fire Tower on Mount Rainier. And again, the Calvinistic young pastor and Sunday school student would have distrusted experience. But my experience in that trail with Mount Rainier right there, I felt deep within me something saying, you're going to be all right. Mm-hmm. I have, This mountain has existed before you. It will be here after you. It is beautiful. You're going to make it through this. And that was a type of conversion. It gave me that creation experience, gave me confidence to follow down the fork in the road that I was about to take. Well, I thank you both so much. One of the uh, difficult aspects of conversing with two fascinating people, uh, such as yourselves, is you have all these other directions that you could go and that would uh, be worthy of another program. And I hope we can do this again. I just want to mention that, uh, again, J.P. Newell's new book is Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul. That is out now. And he is the founder of a group called Earth and Soul. And we're going to put that on the screen as well. And as we mentioned, uh, Dave is the creator and host of Blues Vespers. If you haven't caught one of those before, just look it up and uh, you would find it a wonderful way of uh, spending some spiritual time uh, with some like-minded people. So JP and Dave, thank you so much for joining us. I hope we can do this again. Thank you, Jeff. And, And may I say that good conversation is greatly enabled by someone who knows how to serve and enable dialogue. And you've done that. Well, thank you. Uh, And we thank all of you for joining us on this episode of Challenge 2.0. We hope you'll join us again next week. If you've enjoyed this program, found our conversations to be informative, entertaining, and thought-provoking, and the vision inspiring of people from different backgrounds who can disagree without being disagreeable, perhaps you might consider supporting our program with a contribution. Your support will not only help our program continue, it will also support the broader efforts of Paths to Understanding, our supporting parent nonprofit organization.